The presenting sponsor for On Education is Schoology. Every day, millions of students, parents, faculty, and administrators from more than 1,600 school districts leverage Schoology to advance what is possible in education. The team at Schoology is passionate about making its users successful, and they know sometimes you might need a little help to achieve your desired outcomes. To help districts find their way to success, Schoology has created Schoology Compass, a set of self-service resources and tools to support school and district leaders in their journey to success. Compass is made up of five district success routes. Each one is designed to advance what is possible at your district. To learn more about Schoology Compass, simply visit Schoology.com. You can only sit on $1 trillion in the bank for so long, boys. Yeah, you can invest that in education. Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss the upcoming elections, the Apple event that happened last week, news about teacher gaming, and our guest this week is Josh Parker from Unbound Ed. Hopefully we make it through the podcast. (laughs) Technical difficulties. (laughs) Boy, oh boy. So, you know, if you are a regular listener, you'll notice we didn't come out with a podcast last week. Sorry. We're having trouble, not big trouble, just, you know, minor troubles. Anyways, we think we've got it all figured out, um, but we've definitely had to move around some interviews and stuff like that. So we're excited. We've actually uh, this interview with Josh we did last week uh, uh, and we've we've been able to salvage it out of our out of our technical issues. And I think we're going to we're going to get it out to you because it was obviously it was very, very good. Yes. Uh, So so we'll uh we're trying to do better. We're, we're thinking about things and trying to figure out what's going on with some some issues. We uh, played around with some stuff just a few minutes ago before we went on air. And, you know, this is the way it goes, I guess, when you're yeah. trying to run a, run a studio quality podcast from a third bedroom in your house. <laughs> from the basement in my house. <laughs> or, the, or the basement. Or a basement in, uh, in Minnesota. We're, we're like troubleshooting, <laughs> troubleshooting all kinds of things. Is it our internet? Is it the routers? Is it our computers? <laughs> hey, it, newsflash, I'm not an engineer. Is it our microphones? <laughs> God, God, I hope not. My microphone was very expensive. Yes, what, it, what is it? <laughs> so hopefully we got it. I think it just shows, though, it's, it's difficult to do. You know, we, we have it all down, and then all of a sudden, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Like, it's like tech in general. <laughs> do you remember when we were interviewed uh, by Dylan and we were talking about like how easy it was and it's easy to do it kind of at a, like a low level, at like a basic level where you have no expectations and stuff like that. Um, but doing it the way that we want to do it is not easy. And uh, so that's, that's what makes it fun, I guess. Yeah. Except it, make, except it hasn't been fun and I'm really cranky about it also. It makes it frustrating, but then also right. rewarding. <laughs> rewarding when it turns out okay. Sure, sure. Um, so we got lots to talk about. Yes. Uh, let's, let's, okay. <laughs> how do we even set this up? I don't know how to set this up. I really don't. These, so this Idaho teachers thing, I'm, I don't really want to talk. I think if I talk about it too much, I'm going to end up swearing and then I'm going to end up changing, having to change the rating. Then we might have to. Uh, yeah, well, that would be interesting. You, uh, <laughs> you'd have to beep it out or you would have to change the rating of the podcast. Would that, I, get, I got, would that, would that get us more listeners or less listeners? <laughs> I don't know, man. I've been wondering, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I think people who know us know that neither of us have a problem with saying things the way we want to say them when we need to say them, but, you know, trying to, you know, be professional for this is, is a little bit more difficult when it comes to people dressing up as Mexicans and then putting up a fake wall in your library, putting it on social media. (laughs) Like, yes. Talk about taking idiocy and racism to the max. Ah, I can't even, I really can't even, I'm just losing it. Boy, oh boy, like, I don't even know what to say. The, I guess, I guess my, my, one of my real thoughts on this is we're better than this people. Like as educators, at least way better. Yes, we should be. Yes. 
and the, yeah, go ahead, Mike. And like, there are, I guarantee you, there were kids, minorities, Latinos that go to that school and now and see that. And it's not a joke to them. It's not funny. It's not fun. It's terrifying, to be honest. Yeah. You guys live down there in a state like these. Some of these Latino communities live in a state of constant fear. And you just ramped up some five-year-old's fear to like epic levels because now their teacher is against them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I thought the, not only that, but, um, you know, the, I saw some, you know, they were putting like, you know, these specific schools have a certain percentage of uh, Hispanic Latino students, right? Right. But I thought even the broader picture, you just showed everybody in the school by all of the students that this is okay to do. So now you're talking about, okay, not just that 15% that you just yeah. crushed them. But what about that other 85% that you just empowered this, this kind of hate, this uh, uh, just disgusting kind of rhetoric, you know, yep. and, yep. and made fun of it, you know, kind of like, oh yeah, look at us, you know, kind of doing that. And, and then, I mean, this is a, you have to, this is a thought process too, Mike. It's not like when we're, you know, if we're just talking and then sometimes we might say something, we're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, you know, where you're just, it just came off the top of your head yep. and, and you slipped and you sh- uh, you're you like, I shouldn't have said that. That's right. That was inappropriate. I apologize. Cause you know, it's something that happens, but this is a well thought out. It's like a planned thing. And then you have a group of people doing it within the school, a group of teachers doing it. And then even so well thought out that you decided to go ahead and take pictures and post them. At so <laughs> many times in this process, yeah, someone could have said, you know, guys, this is, yeah, this is probably not a good idea. This doesn't feel right. Something, <sighs> something about this is not, uh, yeah, we should, yeah, maybe we should rethink this. <laughs> right. Uh, like, it's, it's, it's just sick, like, man. it's like when you're getting your makeup on and then when you're dressing up, and then you're getting things out of your car and then you're bringing them all the like, like then, at a million points in this process. Yeah. No. And I, I, I restrain myself in, in making like monumental judgments about these people. But when that at no point in the million times that they were getting ready to do this and planning it, obviously. Yes. Did they not stop? And think this is racist. Yes. Well, we have we have a higher level expectations of our own students. Do you know what I mean? So if our students did this, we would be super upset about it. But they are students. They're still, you know, you're still learning. You're still, you know, uh, learning about appropriateness and and you know, kind of pushing the boundaries of things. You know, if a student did this, I would be upset. But for an educator, educators to do this in a well you know, kind of planned out process. And at, and at no point did they ever say, we, Uh, you know, we shouldn't go down this path. You know, I, I, you know, and that's the part that I feel is the most disgusting of it. Is it, we all do things that where at the moment you're like, you know, it could, you, you make mistakes, you know, but this is like ridiculous over the top. And I mean, I know that they were, suspended at least for the short term and until the investigation is complete and the superintendent apologized and all of these things. And I'm not blaming the school district, you know, for whatever might be. I, I, I think it falls directly on those specific teachers that planned that out. And, and the principal. And, and, the, and the principal then is responsible to making sure that uh, he makes the right decision as far as, you know, whether they're going to be terminated or not. And I hope that they are. I mean, yeah. actually, I would think that 100%. that would be almost grounds for the removal of your license. I think that that's, that's right on that verge of, you know, when, when we sign uh, our licensure and we are saying we're going to always serve and protect our students, you know, that kind of thing, you, you just blew that up, you know, and, and so... It's. It, I wanted to make sure we talked about it, even though it's 
you know, it's really, really hot kind of topic. But I think that that's exactly the right time to go ahead and say that this is inappropriate, not only appropriate, just disgusting. And that if you decide to go down this path, that this is not acceptable in the United States. I'm sorry, just it isn't. <laughs> be better, people. Be better. Be better than that. Ah, oh, yes. I'm like almost every time I open my mouth, just be better, people. You yeah. you can do it. You should be doing it. This is this is exactly um, the type of stuff that Donald Trump has given you license to do. Yes, and you're better than that. And and uh, don't take your cues from the racist in the Oval Office. It, it leads right to our next topic about elections, though, Mike, is it's how important those are and really how important it is for us to make sure that we do know our candidate, you know, really investigate them. And I think that there was plenty of information and we is, isn't like Donald Trump is somebody that we, you know, is somebody is like, OK, he, he really wasn't that person before we, we couldn't have predicted that this is where the path that we'd be, be headed down, you know, basically the the division of the uh, of our country, you know, and, and making sure that we have divisive language and and gross things that he says and attacking different minority groups and ramping up the rhetoric. So where we have all of these shootings taking place, even inside of churches, um, it's not like we didn't already know that coming into this. You see what I mean? So mm-hmm. when people voted for for him because they said he's going to be a maverick, he's going to be someone outside the box, you know, kind of that thing. Mm-hmm. It, 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 that to me is like, no, you have all the signs of someone that is going to do the things that he's currently doing. You had those signs right sitting right in front of you and you had the evidence sitting right in front of you. And that's the path that's that's been going. So now on Tuesday, we have an ability or at least to be able to put a check on on what he's doing. You know, I'm a, so pumped. Yes, and so I, I, am excited that a bunch of people already have have uh, put early, or, you know, put their ballots in the mailboxes and have voted already in early voting. And I think Tuesday is going to be monumental as far as the number of people that go out and vote. I, I heard a good quote from. I feel like it was either Matt Iglesias or or Ezra Klein on on the weeds said that the. Or I mean, it might have even been um, uh, five thirty-eight. Their politics podcast. Either one of those, by the way, Ezra Klein show, The Weeds, great politics podcast. Five thirty-eight, awesome. Um, they were talking about how the difference between the house, the 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 chances of the um, Republicans holding the house, and the chances of the Democrats taking the Senate are both about fifteen percent. And um, and they were reminding us that Donald Trump was predicted on the 538 polling average to have a 20% chance to win the election. And also that Thursday happens 15% of the time in a week. Like 15% is a Thursday. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yes. like it is not an insignificant amount. I don't think it's exactly 15%, but you get my point. I totally get your point. Yes. It's it's not an insignificant amount. It happens. Yes, it does and, happen. And yeah. and it the 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 difference between O'Rourke winning Texas and losing Texas is the margin of error. Yeah. So like, I mean, it really depends upon people so going close. out there. Yeah. I mean, getting out there, being able to go ahead and cast their vote, and then I was also seeing that it's so important for us to vote. All the way through the ballot, yes. Like I, I've, I guess I've heard a lot of people just vote on the, you know, the first few different, yeah, um, you know, the the top Senate seats or whatever it might be, and then they just turn in their ballot blank for the rest of the things. It's like you really should do your research and and make sure you vote for your local school boards, like we've talked about before, for your judges, for your sheriff, you know, as far as in, in our local communities and uh, local representatives. Local state representatives, because they really do affect, especially the way that education is funded in the United States. Those representatives and their vision is what really is going to uh, pa- uh, pave the way for what happens as far as school funding and how do we decide as far as uh, healthcare within the state of Minnesota or whatever state you actually go ahead and live in. Those local elections are super important. It's funny, Florida has almost a singular chance 
at changing the course of democracy in the United States on a ballot initiative. With yeah, what is the, what is the, that? The felon voting. Okay. Well, there are 1.4. Florida has the most um, previously incarcerated people in the United States. 1.4 million people who were previously in jail for felonies have served their time. Some of them have gone on to do, you know, have learned their lessons, do amazing things, uh, and they cannot vote. You cannot vote if you have have a felony. felony. That's so crazy, don't you think? There are. It's insane. And there's 1.4 million of them in Florida. Wow. And just like, I mean, that is an astounding number of people who are completely disenfranchised. So there's a ballot initiative in Florida for for that to be repealed. And huge. It, it would change everything. And so, you know, Florida, do a good job on Tuesday, please. And, they have, a, they have a, some massive decisions to make with yeah, their governor's and, race and the Senate race that they have replacing there, too. I mean, yeah. my goodness, it could be a completely different state by Tuesday evening. 100%. There are very few blowouts, guys. So, like, all of these elections matter. The only real blowouts that are going to happen is it looks like uh, Orcasio-Cortez in New York is going to win, like, 79% of her vote, which is awesome. Yes, that um, is awesome. And and I think Gavin Newsom in California is going to gonna win by, you know, a huge amount. Um, but all these other races, like, I, I think I saw Stacey Abrams uh in georgia yes. is down by like 0.8 percent or something like that isn't that and, that's crazy and there are like um the 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 one in ohio the governor's race in ohio is super close uh obviously uh you know o'rourke cruz um you know turning texas blue or at least partially blue would be a huge turning point in in that state um, you know you know i found out he's he's from el paso texas dude oh i see <laughs> yeah he was, so, he's from, he's from my hometown. <laughs> so, I mean, America, Canada wants you to be awesome on Tuesday. Yeah. Please be awesome on Tuesday. Uh, uh yeah. Um, let's, <laughs> I, I, I'm really pumped. I'm really pumped. So, so I, I'll be watching all night. It'll be a late night, uh, but I'll be excited and, and I'll be into it. Uh, and, and I'll be, I'll be streaming it and, and stuff like that, I think as well. So. We'll watch it together if you want. Um, we do have a small bit of news. Uh, our our friends at uh, at Teacher Gaming are are struggling a little bit. We don't want to like beat beat this into the ground a little bit, but there was an article that came up on Ed Surge about them. You know, this is this is something we've talked about a million times. Yes, making money in ed tech is not easy. Super hard, and uh, just like so many other people. Uh, you know, teacher gaming is struggling because, you know, especially the work that they do. I don't think people realize that making games is hard. Oh, God. And, yeah. So complex and so expensive, too. Right. Yes. And then you got to sell these things. You got to sell it and not a bunch of not everyone's buying. And, um, you know, so they've had to lay off a few people. And, uh, you know, they've got enough runway. They got enough money to get them through to September of next year. Um, but, uh, you know, we really, uh, hope that they're able to, to, to kind of, um, you know, keep going because they're, they're doing amazing work. We really believe in what they're doing and, and hopefully they can, uh, they can keep it together. Right. Yeah. And I mean, big time that, uh, you know, we, we've always been big supporters of them, not just because, you know, they became a sponsor of the, of the, of the podcast. We were supporters of them way beforehand, and their vision is amazing as far as how they're able to use really highly advanced game-based learning. So it's not like right. just some cheesy kind of uh, low-level learning. We're talking about advanced, high-level uh, cooperative learning and that, ha- that has to do with games. And it's specifically bringing in commercial games and then using the aspects of those games 
in the in the classroom, which is super complex. But what they do is they make it super easy for teachers to go ahead and take that plunge into game-based learning by offering lesson plans and being offering support to be able to make this happen. And then also offering that technical part where a lot of people don't want to mess with the technical part. They just want to press a button and then make it work. That's kind of what they've done. And so I, I'm, I'm giving them well wishes and hopefully that they can go ahead and turn it around and then be able to come back huge. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, when we come back, we're going to chat about the big, big Apple event that happened uh, a week or so ago. Stay tuned. On Education is brought to you by Teacher Gaming. As a foreign language teacher, I'm so excited about Teacher Gaming's newest game edition called Influent. Influent is a video game aimed at inspiring people around the world to pick up a new language by making vocabulary acquisition and proper pronunciation a fun and rewarding experience. Players explore an interactive 3D environment filled with hundreds of collectible objects scattered throughout. I had so much fun playing this game all while learning Korean. There are 18 languages currently supported including Spanish, French, Mandarin, and even Bulgarian. To learn more about Teacher Gaming and all of the awesome games that are available, visit teachergaming.com. On Education is brought to you by Classcraft. Classcraft is an amazing teaching resource created by teachers. Classcraft is dedicated to making school relevant and engaging to all of our students. Classcraft is proud to announce their Questathon quests created with shared storylines and custom illustrations to bring any subject to life. Every time a teacher downloads one of the free quests, Classcraft will add $1 to the Teachers Are Professionals fund, which will be used to fund teacher requests to PledgeSense.com. To learn more about Classcraft, simply go to Classcraft.com. All right, welcome back to the show. We had a big Apple event about a week ago, and a bunch of new stuff was announced. New iPads, new Apple Pencil, new Mac Mini is fancy uh lots of cool new things the new devices glenn look amazing they really do they're gorgeous yeah, yeah you were saying that they i mean aesthetically look really awesome that they've done yeah. a really good job with that and then obviously i've looked through the specs of these and they are on the the highest end of laptops or the ipad as they talked about had uh, graphics similar to something you would get on an Xbox, you know, so these super highly detailed graphics uh, and 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 the visuals are amazing then. Oh, right. Yeah. New MacBook Air, too. Yes. And, and yeah, MacBook Air. Yes. And it's and you said it's it more like, yeah, you said it's more like a MacBook Pro, right? It looks a lot like him. So it still has kind of that wedge kind of profile, um, you know, shape, but but it definitely the with the bezel being a lot smaller and black as opposed to that giant silver bezel that you're literally staring at right now, um, which is incredibly ugly in hindsight, especially when you see the new ones, you go like, why wasn't that like that the whole time? Um, so they're, they're absolutely gorgeous. Now the prices have went up yes, a little bit, I guess. <laughs> so now that being said, I'm a big fan of the iPad pro. I think it's an awesome device. I think if you, if you need a high if you if your workflow can support um, using an iPad, you should totally use an iPad. I, I've I've kind of been I, I kind of th- I, I think that, and I'm really close in my own personal workflow to being able to do that. Um, there's not much that I probably couldn't do on an iPad, and I, so I think that these new iPads are awesome. Uh, 11 inch starts at 7.99 US, um, and then the 12.9 inches 9.99 US. Uh, I believe that these are the 64 gig models. Um, Bezel is a lot smaller on these ones too. So you're getting more screen or the same amount of screen in a smaller, um, in a smaller form, physical size. Yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. Which is great. Um, Cause I, I don't particularly like the big iPad pro. Uh, I love, the idea of having one of the kind of the normal quote unquote normal size iPad pros. I, I would love to get one of those. Uh, you know what I was sure. thinking? I was thinking Mike is that we should have these companies, Apple and then Microsoft send you their two products and then you could do 
I can really see who's winning. Yeah. And then you could really go like and run a review. You know, sometimes you go on these review sites and you wonder, you know, it, 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 I think it's very specific to the business that you're doing. Like you always talk about, like, can you do your work within this, you know, workflow? Um, But for teachers, we have specific things that we use, whether it be your LMS for grading, uh, whether it be you're, you're uh, managing all kinds of different apps at the exact same time, you know, kind of mm-hmm. wondering, you know, working through those things and which one, you know, the Surface, you know, if you'd had the Surface Pro, for example, or if you had the iPad Pro, which one would be the best and then the best investment for a district to make for its teachers, for example, so that they can use those as tools or even for their students, if you were going to venture out into that $800 price range, which is pretty expensive. I mean, that's but that's how they come out, right? I mean, they usually yeah. go down in price. I mean, the, the initial cost is usually uh, higher, and then eventually they come down uh, in price to to. I would be yeah. I would be surprised to see like black your Black Friday is coming up soon. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'd be surprised to see the new iPad Pros. Yeah, they're um, not going to go down. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see like the Air Two. Uh, or the old iPad Pros get discounted um, and that kind of stuff. Pretty significant, um, probably. Yeah, yeah. the The new Apple Pencil uh, is pretty sweet. You can charge it on the side of the iPad, as opposed to that completely ridiculous way to charge the old one, which was to plug it in. Plug it in, yeah, to the side. I guess you have one now, so you know what I'm talking about. I, you, I do know what you're talking about. Yes, and then, and then it sticks out. I was always terrified of breaking it. Oh yeah, right. it looks it looks nuts. I mean, it's like really you're gonna stick that thing in there? It's like right. wow, yeah, that looks n- insane. But it yeah, it does. It's unique. <laughs> I do like the idea of it charging somewhere. The whole point of MagSafe was to avoid that, right? To avoid a plug sticking a hard plug sticking out of the device. Yes, like they invented MagSafe so that you could literally like if you bumped into it, it just popped off. Do you know if there's right. an adapter mic like for just charging the iPad pencil? I mean, talk about the old iPad pencil. You know, if there's, you can just plug it into something that doesn't, because that's so scary. I can imagine like students at a school, if that's the way you charge that, talk about that's oh, gonna, yeah, you can, that's you gonna can shatter. A cord. Okay, perfect. There is a cord kind of situation where you can plug it into. Yeah. Okay, okay. I think I, I think I have one somewhere. Okay. Um, but yeah, you can <laughs> plug it into the cord because that's, it is ridiculous. It's, it's, so I mean, this was kind of a no-brainer. The pencil is more; it's one hundred and thirty dollars now U.S. So probably one fifty Canadian. Which um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, the Apple Pencil is amazing. It really is something. It's special, and and I, you know, I, I can't believe I'm talking about a stylus like that. Oh, it's amazing! It's not just a stylus. As, as yeah. soon as you as soon as you use it, yeah, you you. I mean, you're You'll like, know. whoa! This is a this is a thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is it is pretty amazing. So, um, a big fan of the Apple Pencil. I would still buy it at one twenty nine. Um, you know, if I got a new iPad, you know, I would I would definitely still buy an Apple Pencil. I don't think you can buy an iPad Pro and not buy the Apple Pencil. That would it would be counterintuitive to me to to do that. Um, I don't think that the new pencil works with the old i like so you have a new iPad the first one that was not a pro yep but but it doesn't work with the new pen the new pencil doesn't work with it no hmm that's weird I mean not that I care because I have the old old pencil right. now. <laughs> Right. It's just funny that I'm talking about the old pencil and it's like a new product, you know. But but what I was thinking about, Mike, is if if these items are coming out and they have a, a little bit of a higher price range, then hopefully for schools, you know, when we go into our next buying cycle, then the regular, you know, the what I call just a one-year-old type of MacBook Air or the iPad Pros and the pencils, wouldn't mm-hmm. that be amazing if they all went down in price, especially for school purchases? So it could be good. It could be good news. That's what my thought is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I, I think what they need to do, I've been thinking about this a little bit because, because, um, you know, this is, it's been a week and we, we had some conversations on Twitter and, and stuff like that. So I've had some time since then to think about it. And I really think that Apple needs to come out with uh, an iPad mini. 
yeah. basically take take that form factor. Okay. Make it two forty nine. Ooh, that'd be a great price range. Love that. Right. Make it two forty nine. It comes with a pencil. <laughs> I don't think they could do that. But okay. if they could, if they could make a mini at two forty nine, I, I think that that's that's right in the range of Chromebooks. Yes, very competitive. It's, it's more functional than a Chromebook at that point. Uh, it can do everything that that you would need it to do. It, it, like if you had a level, same level of expectation as you have with a Chromebook, then you'd be really happy with an iPad Mini at two forty nine. I think that's a really good price. So I think right now their prices for the Mini Four is two ninety nine. So what they need to do is they need to up the specs and they need to come out at two forty nine, and then and then maybe have a third party pencil a discount. Maybe offer a volume. Oh discount. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And then there I was is thinking a third about, party pencil. Remember yeah, the the crayon or something or like that. Yeah, yeah. If they can come down to about twenty five dollars, yeah. Then it makes like total sense for people. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, you can write on it. It's like high quality writing, uh, sensitivity. It's not just like a regular stylus. So it's, I mean, yeah, that would be awesome. We need to, we need to talk to Apple. <laughs> Dude, clearly, clearly they're not, uh, they're frustrating. I think I've said that before. Frustrating. Yes. Yes. Especially this pricing is frustrating. <laughs> so so i mean really cool products um probably the most um r- r- extensive redesigns they've done in quite a while um yeah. you know as as someone that's complained frequently of their their lack of you know um you know reinvention or like like creating something new uh, and I mean, I'm a big fan of iteration, but you know, at some point you got to really, you know, bump it up a little bit. And yeah. I think they've kind of done that, especially with the iPads, the new iPads look great. Uh, and, and I'm really excited about the, the new MacBook. So th- I think that this was a good event. Um, we for just them? are, st- yeah. we're, we're still waiting, you know, for them to, to come, come to education in some sort of stronger, more like, I mean, a know, bigger push. You can only sit on one trillion dollars in the bank for so long, boys. Yeah, you can invest that in education. You could. <laughs> you could. We'll be happy to help. <laughs> we would be happy to help. When we come back, uh, we'll talk to, or Glenn, I guess, we'll talk to uh, Josh Parker. On Education is brought to you by Project Pals. Project-based learning has come a long way since poster boards and paper cutouts. Digital platforms like Project Pals have cut teacher prep time in half to allow more time for research and learning. They can either choose from the dozens of projects available in the catalog or create a tailored project from scratch. Project Pal's multi-purpose platform allows students to work in real time to create project assets, import media, and save their resources all in one place. Student contribution analytics and a progress bar keep teachers up to date. Solidly grounded in years of research, Project Pals is your all-in-one solution for student-centered inquiries and group projects. Welcome back, everyone. We're thrilled to have Josh Parker, former Maryland Teacher of the Year and now Director of Programs and Engagement at Unbound Ed with us today. Welcome to the show, Josh. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. How are you? I'm doing great today. Um, Josh, can we begin by telling uh, our audience a bit about who you are, where you're located, and then what you do in education? Sure. So um, I, we are, I'm a part of an organization that is a virtual organization, but it's based in New York City. And our focus is on creating equitable practices in every classroom in the United States. And so uh, we have a couple of signature programs, um, our Standards Institute, which happens in February, typically end of January, early February, and also in July, where educators from all over the country come and they're trained in how is it that I can reach all children, no matter where they come from, uh, what their skin color, what their background, uh, how can I reach all of them with the moves that make the difference in their learning? And so that's our signature program. But we also offer curriculum resources online. We also do individual site-based training to different school systems. And uh, so that's our work. How can we equip principals, 
assistant principals, teachers, CAOs, superintendents throughout our country on creating the classrooms that our children of color deserve. That That is amazing. Now, are you based specifically in somewhere in the United States or do you guys travel throughout the United States? We typically travel throughout because it's a virtual company. My yeah. home, I live in Owings Mills, which is right outside of Baltimore, Maryland. Awesome. Yeah. And Josh, I read, I mean, I've read several of your articles and I can't believe that I, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that. Previous to this last week, I hadn't been reading any of your articles because they are so powerful and so much learning to actually, sometimes you read a blog article, it's, uh, I mean, I don't want to be degrading, but it's like superficial. So it's like a, a very highlight layer, you know, it's not any, sure. it, there's not any details in there to how do, how do I improve my practice? And I think that's the exact opposite of your articles. Like, for example, there's this article in Ed Week, which we're going to link uh, in our show notes, and it's called Deconstructing Disruption in the Classroom. And I thought it was also a fascinating take on classroom management. And in the article, you state there's a productive disruption and then there's a dis- destructive disruption. Tell our audience a little bit more how do you distinguish between those differences and then why it's so important to do so as an equity move. So it's really key, and I thank you for referencing those. Uh, it takes me a lot to write just one article, to be honest. Um, and any person you know who writes, writing is um, such a task. And yes. so I'm thankful that there are readers to, and I've gotten a lot of great responses since starting this blog a year ago. And I thank Education um, Week um, for helping me. So uh, in regard to destructive disruption and productive disruption, I think the the end has to be what is the goal? So productive disruption, the goal is for on the students part is for clarity, for understanding um, and really for assistance. Yes. And so what ends up happening with productive disruption is it can look like the other type of disruption because it might entail someone shouting out or uh, might entail someone getting up and and talking to another student. Um, it, It might be a situation where. It, it sounds like it's disruption that will take us away from the goal of learning, but it really is advocacy. And so with destructive disruption, there really isn't a goal to finish the work or to um, get more understanding or assistance. It's really more for attention sure. or um, it, isn't, it doesn't involve the teacher or learning at all. It's more of a, a side conversation that gets so loud that it, it distracts other people's attention. And so the main, I guess, the main point of what makes destructive disruption different from productive is the goal. What is the goal of the disruption? And in the article, I really talk about this idea that learning in and of itself is disruptive. It is. Um, you know, whenever you learn something, you're adding on to what you previously knew in a new way. And you're going to start thinking and most likely behaving in a different way. That is disruption in and of itself. And so I think when we normalize disruption is really important. And here's why that's an equity move. Yeah. What we know from the research is that everyone carries with them some level of bias in, in this country and in the world. Sure. Um, your bias comes from your upbringing, where you're from, what you've learned. And that tends to show up within schools and in classrooms, especially with students of color. And the reason we can we can assert that is because of the achievement gap itself, which we think is a provision gap. If, if the achievement gap, the gap between uh, students of color and white students with achievement on state testing and other tests, if it was random, then that would make sense. Yeah. But it's predictably one on top, one not on top. Yes. And so because there's bias that enters into a classroom, how it shows up is how a teacher responds to students that are labeled disruptive. And so to be able to deconstruct that um, and understand what a student actually wants and not necessarily what you think they want based on what your bias might be is an equity move. That That's a huge move there in the classroom. Um, and I read a couple of different other articles for you or about that you wrote. And one of them was called Breaking the Class Ceiling, yes. and Teaching for Mastery and Enrichment. Mm-hmm. And in that one, you state, uh, you said you wondered if the culture of instruction of black and brown st- students grow up in is significantly different than their peers. Yeah. Um, and it, can you tell our audience more about this? Yeah, that was a, that's a special blog to me. Um, it also was recognized um, 
and awarded uh, for one of the blogs uh, of the month. And essentially, I went to a restaurant with my wife and we saw uh, it was just it was a really special time for us. And it was a pretty expensive restaurant and great brunch. And we saw just lots of uh, kids in there. Yeah. Lots of kids that were just, that were babies there. And I'm like, this is a special event for me, but this is just normal for them. (laughs) This is where they go (laughs) to. Yes. (laughs) Right. And so I wondered if that's the case also when it comes to students. Yes. Whether students of color are used to this, this extravagant, comprehensive, and meeting the needs educational classroom or not. Yes. Because teaching matters. Um, and, and the culture of a classroom really determines what type of learning goes on there and how students feel valued. You know, for, for me, I think about the type of instruction that I was blessed to be able to give to many of my students. Uh, so that when they came to the classroom, they knew that whoever the guy that was standing in front of them, that was me, was ready when the bell rang. Yes. Could meet all of their needs and would hold them to the highest expectations possible. And I wondered, is that what every student of color is able to say and grow up in? Just like those kids grew up in that type of elegance, in that type of, of quality, do our students grow up in those type of classrooms? And I can say from visits in many states and many yeah. cities, unfortunately, that is not the case. That's not the case. Uh, that's, that is a fantastic point. And and I mean, I, I commend you for all the work that you're doing. And one of the the things I was reading, uh, one of your speeches, and and this is kind of in the same vein here, where you you wrote in one of or you said in one of your speeches that was hosted by the NEA uh, that we are the ones who can heal the broken futures that have been cracked by broken promises That's made right. to our black and brown students. That's right. It's such a powerful and personal moving speech. Can you tell us more about how we can heal the broken futures of, uh, of our black and brown students? It starts by reflection, right? So, you know, I wonder, and I read this somewhere, where people sometimes blame the community for the schools, mm. but we actually might have to hold the schools responsible for the community which is to say there is a dynamic link between what schools produce and what communities end up looking like. Yes. And so we have to start thinking reflectively. If when, when a kid comes to my classroom, if I'm a teacher, if they come through my school, if I'm a principal, and if they graduate through my school system as a superintendent, what should they all be prepared to do? Yes. Because when they come into those doors, the promise is that we will first be in local parentis, which is to say we are the parents that are there. Yes. So we're supposed to nurture and raise them. But we're also the degreed and certificated adults who are supposed to have the knowledge to be able to teach them things that they need later. And so if we are the ones that can actually reflect on if we have held that promise, then if we haven't, then here are some things that we have to do. Yeah. Number one. We have to increase our capacity to deliver the type of instruction that will equip students to be their best selves. Absolutely. The second, we have to investigate where there is bias in us and how it shows up in what we do. Mm. Thirdly, we have to commit to having a learning orientation to the craft of teaching. Absolutely. Teaching is a craft. It is something that is it's not just something that is abstract or all about love and and, and kumbaya. It is a, a scientific craft where you understand from moment to moment what you can do to move 25 to 27 live bodies to understand something they didn't understand before. And so there's certainly art and joy and there's lots of um, emotional qualities to education. But what about the craft of it? Yes. And I think that's really important. I, I think one of the things that I've, I've, as I've been reading all your different articles, uh, and I, I can see this connection between them. Like, for example, there's an article you write about the four components of an equitable classroom. That's right. And and you talk about basically, uh, we have this overemphasis, I, and I see this all the time in classroom management, where we want to control things in our classroom. So, and that control can actually stifle true academic growth. That's right. Um, So tell our audience a little bit more about these components of an equitable classroom. 
Right. I, I want to I want to talk about that, too. This this idea of control. Right. So uh, I was listening in a speech recently and this idea of in one hand, if, if you look at it like a, a long balloon where you squeeze on one hand, sort of those car commercials where you squeeze on yeah. one end and it gets bigger the other end. Well, that's the same thing with control. You can't have complete control in a classroom and have growth at the same time. And what ends up happening, uh, and this is especially with students of color, is that the teacher defaults to a command and conquer orientation uh, versus a let's let go and grow orientation. And so one of the points of that article was to, to really investigate, is it a controlling atmosphere and in that atmosphere, growth is going to be limited, limited to the degree of control of the actual person, yes. the teacher. Or is it going to be a growing atmosphere where that means it might look a little messy? You know, I always say when it comes to cooking, no mess, no meal. <laughs> There's got to be <laughs> some ingredients got to be, you know, some ingredients got to be met. There's got to be flour somewhere if you're going to make some cake. You know, yes. I've never seen it. If I see a neat kitchen, I'm not sure about the meal. That's all I'm going to say. So uh, there's got to be some mess involved. You got to let kids learn and grow. Remember, we just talked in this, uh, even in this talk about the disruptive quality of learning. Yes. Um, and so one of the focuses of that article was just to have people investigate the degree to which they are controlling what's going on in a room. Yes. No. And I, I so, so powerful what you're talking about here. I mean, I, and, and specifically for our uh, black and brown students. Yeah. Uh, in the same article, you described three actions to implement by your next lesson, which I think is, I, I love these kinds of uh, action-based, uh, there's something, uh, an action plan at the end of the article. And it basically states, you need to build a conversation protocol yeah. Compose compose exemplars and integrate counter narratives into the content. Yes, right. Can you can can you tell our audience a little bit more about these action plans to be able to go ahead and create this kind of equitable classroom? Absolutely. I want to I want to first say too that the uh, the for the, this part of my my blog, yeah. I typically bring up. Uh, because I want to be able to, I want this to be a grab and go block. Yes. Um, at times, I will break from the protocol, and there will be um, there will be speeches or guest bloggers. There'll be another guest blogger coming soon. Um, but I really want people to take something from it and to and to do something literally tomorrow. That's awesome. And so when I talk about uh, a conversation protocol, it's so interesting how we have. Uh, in lots of classrooms, students that are there and are ready to engage in conversation, but there's no protocol around academic conversation. Yes. Once you set up protocol around an academic conversation, you can allow students to continue to, again, grow. And it's not about control, right? Give them the protocol because they have conversations all the time, but not necessarily academic ones. Uh, the other piece is um, composing your exemplars is this idea that, okay, um, I'm going to, as a teacher, go ahead and do the work and do the exemplars so I can lead them across that same place because you can't lead someone intentionally to a place you haven't gone before. Absolutely. And I think that um, not only should teachers complete them, but the students, their exemplars, when they do great work, it should be used as a model for other students. For sure. In this way, we change the dynamic in the classroom. And we don't um, marginalize students, but we actually center them. And that's really, really uh, important. And finally, I was in a school um, not too long ago. It was about a month ago. And I noticed that in every classroom, the content that they place in front of the children yeah. put African-Americans in a victim uh, uh, position. Yes. And so what do you think goes through the mind of a student of color? If in their English class, they're speaking about, talking about, and listening to text that puts them as victims of atrocities. So there's got to be a counter-narrative where it's not about what, what has happened to people of color throughout history, but how people of color have contributed despite that. Yes. And so there's got to be the counter-narratives that you bring into your content that really help. 
Now, do you see Josh as far as like uh, textbook publishing companies, or do we are they making a movement towards that, or do we? Need I think to some go, are. Yeah, do we need to go out and seek out these resources and then make sure that we're, you know, I'm talking about social studies classes or history or English courses where you're reading literature. We want to make sure that we're, like you just said, we're bringing in the stories of, of not just a one narrative, but like you just said, the, the multiple counter narratives that tell multiple stories of all these different uh, cultures that make up our society. I think more are. Uh, yeah. I, I think that that is that is absolutely true. At the same time, it's incumbent upon teachers to be able to certainly follow a a quality standards aligned curriculum. But to be able to internalize the aim of that curriculum so much so that they can make choices that center um, traditionally marginalized people and cultures. And so, yes, I see more textbooks doing that. Yes. But there still is a need for teachers once they've done the work, they've internalized the lesson, they understand the standards and they understand how text and how words um, can center or marginalize certain populations to make executive decisions to put text in front of kids that shows them the breadth and depth of cultures. That's awesome. Th- Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I really want to make sure we have you back because there's so many powerful conversations that we have. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to connect with you again. And if our audience wants to connect with you, what is the best way to contact you? So it's, it's great to um Email me at joshparker1422 at gmail.com. But I am most present and active on Twitter. Yes. Uh, and I am at MD, uh, that's like medical doctor, also short for Maryland, at MDTOY2012. MDTOY2012 stands for Maryland Teacher of the Year 2012. So I look forward to uh, uh, tweeting with you and responding to you because this is a journey that we can go into together. Thanks so much, Josh. Thank you so much. I'm so glad I was on here. Let's, let's do it again. Absolutely. On Education is an on-podcast media production. My name is Mike Washburn. My co-host is Glenn Irvin. You can get in touch with us or ask us questions to answer on air by visiting our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. Our sound engineer is Jake Codeweiss. He's on Twitter at JK Radio. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be honored if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Schoology, for supporting us. Check out Schoology.com to learn how they can help you advance what's possible. Thanks, as always, for listening. Stay awesome. See you soon.